This is Dr. Brian Kelly. I'm the Surgeon-in-Chief at the Hospital for Special Surgery, Head Team Doctor, and Medical Director for the New York Rangers. You're listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent. On this episode of Interview with the Surgeon, we welcome Dr. Brian Kelly, Surgeon-in-Chief and Medical Director at Hospital for Specialty Surgery and Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at New York Presbyterian's Wheel Cornell Medical College. He cares for several sports teams, serving as head team physician for the New York Rangers, head orthopedic consultant for the UFC, an assistant team physician for the New York Giants and the New York Red Bulls MLS team, as well as a team consultant for hip injuries for several collegiate teams in the tri-state region. Dr. Kelly is Chief Emeritus of the Sports Medicine Institute and served as co-director for the Center for Hip Preservation. He has authored over 140 40 scientific publications, chapters, review articles, and books. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Brian Kelly, Surgeon-Chief for Hospital for Special Surgery. Doc, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for being with us. So let's just jump right into it. What were your goals and aspirations during your residency, and how did those change during your fellowship? Uh, so when I, when I went into my orthopedic residency here at the Hospital for Special Surgery, uh, I pretty much came here knowing I wanted to uh, go into sports medicine. Um, the uh, sports medicine program here at HSS, uh, much of what's, what has happened over the last 40 years in sports medicine started here, and it was sort of the epicenter of sports medicine from my perspective. Uh, we got an incredible exposure to it throughout the residency, and then I ultimately went on and did a, a two-year fellowship in sports, and then a third year fellowship in uh, specializing in hip sports injuries with uh, Mark Philippon at, uh, at the time was at UPMC in Pittsburgh. Um, so I came in uh, pretty much thinking I want to be a sports medicine doctor. I want to take care of teams. And a lot of what I did throughout the residency and fellowship was really focused on that. Uh, and the things that I did uh, really were trying to help me move into that direction. So taking us through that fellowship year, what was your mentality heading into your first job search? And how that perspective changed in the beginning years of your career? So I was a sports medicine fellow here at HSS where we focused on general sports medicine. Much of what we were doing, I, I finished that fellowship in 2001, uh, was focused on uh, shoulder injuries and knee injuries. And uh, my mentor here, uh, Russ Warren, who was the head team doctor for the New York Giants at the time, uh, offered me a job here between my first and second years of fellowship. Um, and it was a sort of a dream come true that I would be starting out at, at, at such a great institution and, and uh, being able to participate in the care of athletes at a professional level. Um, but I, what I told him was I said, well, I, I, I don't think I'm ready to come back yet. I, I want to do a little bit of extra training uh, so that I, when I come back here, I can bring something new to the table, uh, something that really hadn't been developed. And uh, that, that at the time, it was the field of hip injuries in athletes. And, and really, all athletic uh, injuries were, at the time was really focused on shoulder, knee, uh, and elbow. Uh, and there wasn't really much uh, understanding of what, what types of injuries could occur in the athlete that could affect their careers and their plays when, when, it, uh, when it came to the hip. Um, so I, I uh, decided that I was going to do a, a, an extra year of training focusing on hip. And my goal, uh, and that was a big change. I mean, I really uh, believed that from the time that I started that I was going to be a shoulder surgeon or a knee surgeon uh, doing ACLs and, and uh, uh, instability. Um, there were 20, at the time, there were 22 sports surgeons here, and I couldn't imagine being the 23rd sports surgeon doing the same exact thing that everybody else was doing. So that was a big pivot. I had no real interest in hip um, arthroscopy or hip injuries. I didn't really even know about it. 
there were basically three diagnoses that I knew about the hip. It was hip arthritis, hip fracture, and hip, and hip flexor strain. Uh, and so the recognition that there are lots of other types of uh, intraarticular uh, cartilage labrum uh, muscular injuries that can occur that can have a huge impact on the future of an athlete uh, and that there's actually something you could do about it uh, was, was very interesting to me. So uh, that was the reasoning for spending the next year doing the hip, uh, the hip sports. And then when I came back here, uh, that really changed the trajectory of my life uh, considerably. Uh, when I started, I, I, was, I did comprehensive sports medicine, uh, but there, were, there was very little uh, hip arthroscopy and hip sports going on here. So my practice quickly uh, developed into a primarily hip injury uh, practice. And about seven or eight years into practice, I became exclusively uh, non-arthritic hip surgeons uh, uh, focusing on hip injuries and in athletes. Uh, which was something if you'd asked me when I started, when I was in my fellowship, I would have told you I have no interest. I'm a shoulder a surgeon. I'm a knee surgeon. So throughout your career, did you ever consider going private practice? Or are you academic focused all the way? Uh, I mean, HSS is, is a fairly unique place. Um, it's a, we're affiliated with the Wild Cornell Medical Center and we all have academic appointments there and we're a, a large training facility. Uh, we do a lot of research. Uh, we, there's a huge, I, I think I would say the foundation and the pillars of our institution are really focused on education, academics, teaching, uh, and research, which makes it academic, uh, but we're not a university. Um, and in fact, uh, most of the people here uh, do have a private practice. They're sort of in solo practice. So you're, you're running your practice, but you're, you have the benefits of uh, all of the, of the academic institution, the resources that allow you to do your research and, and teaching and, and training. So um, I, I never, uh, I mean, I, I think we have the absolute best of all possible worlds because we can exist in a, and sort of our clinical practice can exist in, uh, in, in reality is it, it is a private practice, but we still are able to participate in all the uh, things that you can, uh, that you can get out of being in an academic institution as well. Uh, so I, I would say I would, I would never think about leaving what I have here to just go in solo private practice, although there are some uh, benefits to doing that. What would you say were some of the keys to your success that shaped your early career as you climbed to the top of your industry? I, I mean, I think that the biggest, I, I remember when I was a resident and uh, uh, somebody who had been a chief resident when I was an intern had become a foot and ankle surgeon. And um, he came back uh, when I was still a resident, started his practice at HSS, and had immediately had an, you know, an incredibly successful early start to his career. And I said, well, it's, it's really impressive that you're coming back and you're so young and you're doing so great at this institution. It seems like it's highly competitive and it, it's, it would be, it's a big challenge. And he said, uh, what he said to me was, um, I think the important thing is uh, coming back to an institution like this with all the resources, but doing something that not very many other people are doing. And so make yourself unique when you go, when you start, do something that, so you're not uh, the same as everybody else, separate yourself from others. And, and uh, that's what I uh, did with the hip uh, injuries and, and hip arthroscopy uh, was, I, I really came into an area that was, uh, there were very few people doing it at, at this institution and across the country and then I spent, um, you know, the first 15 years of my career really dedicated to focusing on uh, honing those skills and making sure that I could uh, be amongst the, the top people in the country treating these types of, of, um, of athletes. Uh, and, the, and the other thing that I think is important is if, you're, if you want to excel in, in an area of specialty, 
particularly if it's one where you're participating in defining what the field is, you have to uh, participate in all aspects of it. And that's academics, you have to do research, you have to um, solve problems that other people haven't solved, and you have to be a thought leader in the field. And if, and if you're focused on making yourself unique, um, defining what, where your field is going, the direction it is, and, and really creating new ways to help people, I think those are, those are things that helped me a lot in my career. What advice do you have for graduating residents and fellows entering the professional job market for the first time? Find a mentor, uh, find somebody you can trust, uh, find somebody that can help you through all of the, the new challenges that you'll experience once you enter into the real world. Um, what, uh, we, we have uh, a lot of fellows graduate, we have about 40 fellows a year uh, uh, throughout the different subspecies, there's usually eight uh, sports medicine fellows, and we have some hip preservation fellows as well. And I try to talk to them at the end of the year, right before they go off to, to uh, work. And, and one of the things I say is you're about to embark on the most challenging five years of your life. Um, it's going to be more challenging than anything you experienced in, in your training. Uh, and the reason is, is because um, you're, you're, you are the one who's accountable for the, everything that happens to your patients. Uh, and that's a big um, uh, responsibility to bear, and it's a big transition from going uh, from a protected trainee uh, to somebody who doesn't have anybody else to, to uh, help you with, with problems that may come up. And you're accountable for the successes and for the failures. Um, so having a mentor who, who you can use to bounce ideas off of, and at the beginning, if you, if you uh, don't be afraid to ask for help, don't be afraid to go into the operating room with, with another surgeon who has more experience if you, if you're not, you don't feel quite comfortable with it. Um, I think there, you know, that particularly in the surgical subspecialties, there's, um, there's this uh, feeling and sentiment that asking for help is a sign of weakness. I would say that asking for help at the beginning and leaning on help and mentorship and the advice from people who have more experience is a sign of intelligence. And uh, it's, it's um, not smart to try to do things on your own, particularly if you're not, uh, if you're not quite comfortable with it. With all these annual conferences being done virtually now, what advice do you have for the graduating class regarding their networking and outreaching process? Um, well, I think that, you know, I think every specialty is a little bit different and, and you have to find the people that are uh, going to be the, the biggest supporters of your practice. And, you know, it, it depends on the, the, um, community that you're in or the type of specialty that you're in. Uh, but I would say that regardless of uh, what community you're in and who the most important people are, uh, make sure you communicate a lot with the people that are supporting you as a, as a clinician. And what, what does that mean for me? If you have uh, primary care sports doctors that are referring you patients, make sure you reach out to them and get to know them, get them to trust you as an individual, as a person and as a doctor. Um, you know, it's critical in my field when you're taking care of uh, athlete, athletes of all different levels, you have to communicate with the team, the coach, the referring doctor, the agents, the mothers, most of the time, lots of, some of the time the fathers, uh, and communication to all of the parties that, are, that care about the, the patient that you're uh, taking under your, uh, your wing is really critical. And don't let... Um, uh, the uh, lack of ability to be to see people in person be an obstacle to communication. Uh, in many ways, the, the virtual technology makes it easier to communicate. It's you don't have to go anywhere. You click. 
uh, but never forget to never forget to talk to the people that are supporting you um, and uh, make sure that you reach out and if and if there's pockets of people that you think are potential sources of referrals for you reach out to them do lectures do talks if it's virtual that's fine uh, in sports medicine and orthopedics the, the a huge resource for us are, is physical therapists go out and give lectures to your local therapist and tell them about what you're doing and what you know how, how you manage certain problems uh, maybe the same maybe differently uh, but just let, get people uh, uh, let people get to know you uh, because they're not going to refer to you unless they get to you and that that to me is the the, the biggest importance of networking uh, the, the other area is within the within the field of if you're in an academic environment networking through the academic uh, world is important as well so don't don't just um, you know, live in your own bubble, go out and talk to other, uh, other universities, talk to other programs, get to know other doctors, go to national meetings and interact with um, other doctors who are doing what you're doing. Because uh, they're, they, one, they, they can be a, a support system for you. They can also be a source of information. They can help you out with uh, challenging cases. And, you know, you know a lot of the times, you know, I have friends across the country and I'll, I'll somebody call me up and say, I, you know, one of my friend's mother's son is in New York. Can you see them? Because you're the person that I would trust taking care of this person. So I, I think networking is critical. Communication is critical. Making sure that you acknowledge the people that are helping your practice is critical. And really identify the key people in your, in your world and in your practice that are really making your, your, um, your practice what it is. Through your experience dealing with some of the top residents and fellows, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see young surgeons making? Um, I think the, the, I mean, I think that there's, there's a baseline of four things that a young surgeon needs to, um, you know, uh, control and, and um, make sure that they're paying attention to. The first is obviously the clinical practice. You, you have to take care of your patients. Don't try to do too much. Do everything really carefully. Uh, but that's pretty basic. I think everyone comes out knowing they're going to do that. The second is their family, because uh, I think there is the uh, a, a real potential for, particularly early in your career, to be so focused on work, so worried about your patients, so worried about your job and your career that you let your family slide. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of residents and fellows leave with young families. And um, you can't forget about your family because they, they ultimately will be your emotional support system throughout mo the mo most challenging times. Um, the, the third um, is uh, your, your own personal, emotional, and physical well-being. And, and this is a huge problem that we see uh, in the, throughout the medical field uh, with regard to physician wellness, physician burnout. Uh, and don't, um, don't pretend you're bigger than, than that is because it's a real problem. It can insidiously affect doctors uh, without them even knowing until it's too late. Uh, so uh, recognize that this is a, a, a stressful um, profession that can frequently learn to uh, lead to burnout uh, and lead to emotional stressors that make you a, a less effective doctor. Uh, and the fourth is your financial health. I mean, um, we, we you know, you, you, many people will finish their training and they're in their early to, to sometimes mid-30s and the most they've ever made over the course of a year is you know, when I was doing it, it was $45,000 a year. Um, I think it's a little bit better now, but it's still, it's not, a, you're, you're basically living paycheck to paycheck. 
And then, you know, overnight, you're getting a real paycheck. And, and I think right at the outset, be smart with your money. Um, there's, you know, there's this um, concept of the white coat investor. When you start your, when you start your career, spend the same way that you were spending when you were a resident and a fellow. Don't change the way you, don't change your lifestyle. Don't go out and buy a, a Porsche and a 10,000 square foot house, even if you could afford it, because you all of a sudden have more money. Uh, you, the early years of your career are a time where you can really make a significant difference that will impact your 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, and if you don't do that, it's hard to catch up later on. So I would say, take care of your patients, take care of your family, take care of yourself, and take care of your finances. And the mistakes I've seen is not taking care of any, any or all of those things. Can you talk about your involvement with the New York Rangers, the New York Giants, and UFC? Um, sh sure. So the New York Giants was the first team that I was um, associated with from when, when I started. And, and as I mentioned, uh, Russ Warren was the head team doctor at the time. And when I came on, I, I was one of the assistant docs. I was uh, really brought on to... Uh, help out with training room coverage, help out with game coverage, and, and um, uh, take care of the athletes who had hip injuries because there weren't other people doing that. Um, I was on the sideline uh, for 12 years, and uh, incredible experience. You travel with the team. You learn a lot about being a sports medicine doctor, which is different than being a, being a sports medicine surgeon, and how do you manage the athletes, how do you manage the how do you manage contracts? Uh, how do you deal with agents? How do you deal with careers? Um, it's, a, it's just a, it's a whole other uh, level of, of learning when it comes to sports medicine. Um, I'm now, uh, six years ago, the Rangers, uh, New, York, uh, New York Rangers uh, changed their medical staff and I was asked to be the head team physician for the Rangers, um, which was kind of like going from residency to uh, real, a real job because, you know, being an assistant team doctor with multiple layers that buffer you where you really, you know, you, you can't, you can make a mistake, but you can cover it up um, or somebody will help you with it uh, to being a head team physician where you are really the one making all the decisions uh, is a, is a whole different level. Um, and my experience with the Rangers has been amazing. I mean, being, being in, in charge of medical decision-making and the well-being of the individual players, uh, which will directly impact the success of the team is, uh, is an incredible experience. And uh, it's also interesting to see the differences, uh, uh, the, the differences being a doctor in the NFL versus the NHL. Um, as a result of experiencing those differences, we, we uh, four years ago started a professional team uh, doctors conference where we got all of the medical uh, and training staffs from all of the regional professional teams across all the four major uh, sports uh, into a single room and just talked about what does it mean? How do you, how do you manage, um, you know, an MCL uh, tear of the knee in a hockey player versus a football player versus a baseball player versus a soccer, a soccer player um, versus a hockey player. And uh, it's, it's amazing the nuances and the differences between sports and, and uh, my time with the Rangers has been, has been amazing. Uh, the UFC was, um, you know, I, I'd taken care of a couple of UFC athletes and about four years ago, um, I think it was, four, it was three or four years ago when, when they finally legalized uh, uh, UFC back in New York and uh, I think it was around UFC 205 was coming to town. Uh, we realized that these 
these athletes who are really incredible athletes, they don't have team doctors. They don't have people to, to really take care of them. Um, they do have um, a really great uh, emergency room doctor, Jeff Davidson, who is, is essentially the team doctor for all of the athletes. Uh, he's an ER doc out in Las Vegas, and, and he describes himself as the cage doctor because he sits outside the cage. Uh, but he needed, he needed to be able to refer people to high-quality um, specialists, and, and uh, they didn't, he didn't have a go-to orthopedic uh, group. And so HSS became the official hospital for the UFC, and, and um, we uh, support the UFC and support uh, the injuries, orthopedic injuries that these athletes uh, uh, can, can get. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.